Welcome to another amazing episode of Kazi's Audio Experience. This is the podcast where we're not only going to sharpen our technical skills, but we're going to learn to become profitable as filmmakers. What's going on, guys? This is Kazi. Welcome to another live. Yes, it's Wednesday and you know how we roll. So this time it's all going to be driven by you guys. Q&A with Kazi. I asked you guys to drop in tons of questions so I can just start taking them and just like rapid fire around and give you exactly what you're looking for. Thank you so much. Tons and tons of people just like, I mean, I got novels. I mean, so many people, you know, put out stuff that they want to, you know, talk about and they want to know. So I'm going to be deep diving into all of that. Um, I want to break it up in a way where we bring the most value and we talk about, you know, variety of things than just like one specific, you know, topic. So, so glad about that. Guys, go ahead. What's up, everybody? What's up, Catherine? What's up, uh, Flex? Like everybody that's joining in, what's going on, guys? Uh, drop in your questions if you have any, because I'm going to be taking some questions here too. But I'm going to jump in and I'm going to start going through some of the things that you guys talked about. Okay, so that's what's going on in today's live. So first question, let's just start with this. Somebody asked, do you think lighting is the most important part of any production? Most of you already know I have a background in cinematography. I went to school for cinematography and then that's what inspired me eventually to become a colorist. And keeping that in mind, I would say that absolutely um, it has a lot to do with uh, color grading and lighting might as well be the most important part. Like, you know, obviously it matters what kind of camera you're using and all that, but having a proper lighting setup gives you so many options what you want to do. Like when you when we watch certain movies, if it's like think of Blade Runner or, you know, anything from Fincher, the way those movies are lit and done so much of vignetting and everything is already done in camera. You don't even have to do it as a colorist. So that's why colorists barely get, like professional colorists don't get a lot of time to work on projects. I mean, you'll get two to three weeks to grade a feature film. Uh, when I brought Jill Bogdanovich on, she said like she would get three to four weeks to grade something like John Wick. Are you kidding me? There's so much going on, so many different environments, all the different type of action that's happening. So keeping that in mind, it's not enough time to grade a movie at that caliber, but they can do it because everything is done right. It's top notch from cameras to lens choices to location to blocking, to how everything is lit. I mean, a lot of the stuff is happening right there. Let's take another question. So somebody else says, what's your opinion on teal and orange? I think you guys already know um, what I think about teal and orange. I'm all for it, guys. I'm not going to be one of those people that try to act too cool for school. Um, I'm here for it, you know, if something is hot, if something is trendy, um, I'm all about it. And there is a, a psych psychological aspect that's behind it, right? Why it's so hot. I mean. You can go as far back as Hitchcock's Vertigo. Uh, excellent movie. If you haven't seen it, Google it, watch it. And if you think about that movie, he's done so much teal and orange, but he's done it with set direction, with costume design. So that has always been there. It's just that now we just, you know, we're, we're on that kick where people are just like, oh, I'm a professional colorist, so teal and orange is beneath me. Oh, I know I heard teal and orange, so all of a sudden now I know everything about color and I'm gonna, you know, shit on teal and orange. So let's just be, you know, aware of 
what's asked of you and what's hot and why is certain thing keeps happening. Whether it's Joker and there's teal and orange, whether it's John Wick, there's teal and orange. I mean, I just did Paris, the Parasite look and you saw so much of teal and orange was in there. Last week I put out Tenet. It has a lot of teal and orange. Extraction from Netflix got tons of teal and orange. So it's, it's going to be there with color grading. There's a lot that you can do, but main focus is always going to be on complementary colors and this is what's going on your orange is right here your teal is right here so when you create that pull you know and when you create that separation everything pops everything looks great what monitor for color grading so what monitor do you recommend for color grading let's talk about it i'm going to give you a couple of different tiers all right so monitors there are so many different types of uh tiers i i should say that you should look at so let me just start from you know, the shoestring budget. If you're somebody that's just starting out and you're not really sure, you know, I don't have a lot of money, Kazi, I'm just getting into color grading, I wanna get my feet wet, but you know, where should I start? So I'm gonna say this. Start with LG, I have this monitor right here. So LG makes this monitor UL600, Google it, okay? LG UL600, it's their consumer line that gives you really nice colors right out the box. So like you pull it out, you set it up, and you can get half decent results, and that goes a very long way, okay? Uh, I'm telling you, tons of trial and error. I've invested so much money. I've wasted so much money on monitors. That is a good entry level, like just getting the job done, getting you started. And then the second um, tier above that that I would say you guys should look into is uh, BenQ has SW series, those are pretty nice. So look at like their SW series and if you can afford one, whether it's 24, 27, 32 inch, pick one of those you know, puppies up, those are pretty nice. And then a tier above that, which I get super excited about, is the ISO CG series. Uh, the CG series is unbelievable. It has its own little hardware like probe that's attached to it, so calibrator. And it is smart enough and it, it uh, corresponds with the software in your OS to tell it that, hey, let's calibrate the screen. It's been a couple of days, let's calibrate it. And it's so smart that it will do it when you turn it off, when you go to bed, you come back and you know it went to work and it did some calibration and then you're good to go. So highly recommend it, look into it for sure. And then you know what I'm using right now as my reference monitor, um, this is the LG CX55. And uh, if you know how to calibrate it properly, if you know how to turn off ABL, auto uh, brightness limiter, if you know how to do those things, it's game over. And you'll save so much money because this screen was like $1,800 or something like that. So it's pennies for how much monitors, you know, will or could cost. Don't fall for that, guys. I'm gonna tell you right now, don't go crazy on Lift Gamma Gain forums and those places and everybody's talking about that, hey, what about XM you know, 311K, which is a $35,000 monitor plus tax. So it's like a $38,000 monitor. You need that if you're working on Netflix or Amazon, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I brought on Mark Todd Osborne a couple of weeks ago. This guy puts out fire all day, every day. He works for Hulu, Netflix. I mean, he's done it all. Uh, it follows the movie, it follows, he graded that. And when I was talking to him, like he's using a older model of my LG. So he's using a C9, I have, you know, C10. So what I'm saying is that, you know, like 
keep those voices down. You know, there's too much of that going on where people will tell you the the actual temperature on your bias lighting. And if it's like a degree off here or there, you can't be a colorist and all that stuff. It, it just, it makes me puke, okay? So let's not get into that. Let's keep it positive. Let's keep going. Uh, Luke said, have you watched When the Sea, When They See Us? No, I haven't seen that brother, um, but I'll check it out. I am super terrible at watching anything. I do not consume any content and I will only do it lately uh, if I'm doing a look on something. So I wanted to do Parasite, so I told my wife, let's get together, let's watch the movie. We watched the movie and a week later, I put out you know, the tutorial on Parasite. I did the same thing with Dark. I wanted to watch Dark, I was dying to watch it and then I, eventually I was just like, let's just freaking do it. I started watching Dark. I'm still not finished. I'm on season two. And then I'm like, let's create a look. So what films inspired you most to become a colorist? Okay, so I'm going to take Zach's question in the comment because that's a good one. Fight Club, my brother, Fight Club. I mean, Fight Club changed my life. Fight Club changed my life to the point where I changed my Instagram or my Facebook handle back in the day to Tyler. And, uh, you know, I'm, 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 I'm shameless about it, dude. I own it. It was just too much. It took over my life, consumed me. I watched the movie like 170 times or something within a year or something like that. And that changed everything. It, it um, I was going to school for network communications at the time, and I was about a year away from graduating. And after watching that movie, I'm like, you know what? Things are gonna change, man. I, I gotta I gotta switch my path and I gotta do this for a living. So it was Fight Club for sure for me. I'm saying that, uh, hey, Rafi Kazi's brother. Yep, Kazi is my brother. And for those that have seen my brother's ads with my setup and his face, no, it's not somebody photoshopping, you know, their face in my on my setup. It's my brother. So it was one of his like birthday presents. Like I told him, I'm like, I'm going to do a full on shoot. Come to my place and we'll get you some cool shots and it'll just look really cool. Like somebody coding on a big screen with the panels and everything. It makes absolutely no sense, but it's epic. It's grandiose. Let's do it. And he loved it. So that's what happened there. How do you remove noise from Sony Log? Um, let me just uh, turn that question into how do you remove noise from any log? You know, it doesn't need to be Sony Log. It could be any type of log. And uh, log will, so let's let's go back because I assume that most of you guys are also shooters and you guys are sort of like predators. You do it all. You shoot, you know, you, you do concept development, you edit, you grade, all that, right? The whole nine. So keeping that in mind, I will say, uh, shoot properly, meaning with the with log, you gotta overexpose a little bit, like a, a, at least a stop overexpose. So ex overexpose everything to about a stop or two stops and then bring it in post and pull it down. So when you do that, you will have so much less noise. And if you just wanna, like what I just said, take that and run with it and try something and uh, give it a shot, you'll be surprised how clean your images are going to be because it will always start from within the camera. What's your image like in the camera? How did you capture it? And then we can make it better in post. Now in post, that's why I always tell everyone that DaVinci Resolve, the studio version is worth every freaking penny, okay? Because without the studio version, you do not get noise reduction. With the studio version, you get their noise reduction module, which is optimized with any OS, whether it's PC or Mac, Linux, whatever you're on, it is op optimized to that, meaning it will give you the best result as soon as you drop in noise reduction, you will barely feel the hiccup, meaning you can have it applied while you're grading, you know, other shots and dropping in your nodes and all that good stuff. So uh, 
you know, watch any YouTube video that I put out. Um, watch uh, the video that I put out about two, three weeks ago where I am, I even watch the dark tutorial. I use noise reduction on that one. So go on Google or go on YouTube, just type in like how to get the uh, Netflix's, Netflix's dark look and watch that tutorial. And you will see my method, like how I ap apply noise reduction. And then that will be the same exact method that you will apply to your footage. And if it's shot well, 90% of the times, that's all you're gonna need, okay, to get the, get the perfect results. Is Resolve certification necessary? So that's also a good question. And let me just give you the simplest answer, no. This is like, is getting a college degree necessary? Yes, it was back in 2012, maybe in 2010. It is not anymore, okay? I graduated college. I never picked up my degree, okay? I still owe like $1,500, uh, you know, to my school. I have to give them $1,500 so they can give me a piece of paper, my actual diploma, like actual degree. I graduated. I had the gra graduation ceremony and everything. I just never grabbed the actual document. Did it make a difference? Are you guys not here to talk to me and like, you know, pick my brains? Am I not working on the coolest freaking gigs out there? Am I not feeling like the most blessed human being on planet Earth? All that stuff happened without the degree. So what I'm saying is that it's not necessary. Um, certification, uh, Resolve certification is not necessary. I don't have DaVinci Resolve certification because I went to get the certification. I, I was there for the first 15 minutes and when I heard the instructor say that you don't, you absolutely do not need the panel to grade. And when I heard those words, and he didn't mean that if he would have said, you don't need the panel to start grading, like when you're starting out, he actually said, period. He's like, I don't prefer panels. When I heard that, that somebody who calls themselves a colorist and Resolve puts in charge to teach people to be certified in color grading, just said the word, you do not need a panel to be a colorist or, or to be a professional colorist. I'm like, I'm out. I walked out, I talked to the admin and I said, hey, how can I get my money back? And she's like, no problem, we'll, we'll, we'll hook you up. Like everything is gonna be fine. If you, don't wanna be not, if you don't wanna be in this class, that's fine. And that's the end of that story. I walked out. Yes, I'm dramatic, I know, but that is the freaking truth, okay? So you don't need that certification. I'm just gonna say that. This live is more than a fucking certification. Exactly what he said. This is what I'm freaking talking about. In, in truth, getting time with somebody who's a practitioner, who's doing something day in and day out, and for you to ask your direct questions and get direct answers is always going to be more than anything in the world. Everything that I learned in school, I only applied this much from it, okay? Because not trying to dog my instructors, but unfortunately, they were just instructors. They were just teaching in a school because they couldn't actually make it, you know, or, or have a full-time career, so they ended up there. Their advice was straight from a book that was written in the 80s or 90s. I could not have applied those techniques in early 2000s or late 2000s. So. That's the big difference, okay? Uh, the reason why I will never stop freelancing, the reason why I will never kill my company and keep like, you know, working with my clients and keep those clients is because I want to be a practitioner. I want to have experience, put out commercials and music videos every day. So when I talk to you guys, we can talk about what is trending, what is happening, what am I learning? And then all that is sandwiched into my educational style, the way I just give you my information. How much to invest to become a colorist? So that's also a good question. Like how much uh, do you have to invest in equipment to get going as a colorist? And 
Uh, this is where I'm going to go back to saying, you know, the best studio is the one you got. Okay. If you are working with a hand-me-down laptop, then that's all you have. That's all you have to work with. The good news is that there are ways to work around it, right? Like, so say if you're in DaVinci Resolve, you have a 2014, 2013 PC laptop that has two gigs of like VRAM, something like that. It doesn't have a lot of juice that Resolve requires. Then in that case, you're going to make proxies. You're going to work off of optimized media and you're just going to be patient. You know, you're going to make one adjustment and it's going to take, it's going to choke and it's going to take its time then you do that. It's okay. That's the that's the journey. Like you have to go through it. Will that hold you back? I don't necessarily think so. Like yes, tools do help. Like yes, once you make investment in all of that, it will pay off. But at, at a certain point, it becomes a luxury than a need. And uh, the need was like, you know, the need would be to eventually, when you make some money, invest in that UL600, you know, LG monitor that I talked about. So at least you have like half decent screen to to look at and grade something that's going to come out somewhat looking similar to what you want it to look like. The investment would be to actually invest in your system, get like a, a laptop that has at least 8 gigs of VRAM, 16 to 32 gigs of RAM, uh, one terabyte, you know, flash drive if possible. So those are actually investments that you're going to have to make, but it doesn't need to be all at once. It could be, you know, one one upgrade and then keep going, but don't ever put limits on yourself. Don't ever think that if I don't have like what the Cosman got, then I can't do what I want to do. Please don't do that to yourself. I've never done that to myself. I was always that naive guy that's just like, Whatever I got is the best. This is the best. This is the best. This is the best. Like, you know, uh, I don't need anything else. And then, of course, when I moved up and I bought the next thing, I'm like, you know, kind of just like looked at myself and was like, was I crazy? Why was I saying that that was the best? Because this is the best. And then I kept moving on. So keep that mentality. Keep it playful. And just practice makes perfect, man. Like, just keep practicing. Like, I mean, more than the, the, the equipment that you have, like, if you don't got, if you don't have the skills, if you can't really you know, use the panel to its full potential, then what good is it? If you can't really use DaVinci Resolve to its full potential, then why get a studio version? Then why get the UL600, that monitor? If you don't understand what color correction color correction is, then how the hell are you going to understand the nuances between, you know, uh, a UL600 to CG279X to LG CX10. All right, guys, I'm going to take a few more questions. So, so entry level camera for someone who wants to grade again, a great question. So entry level camera for someone that wants to grade. Uh, that's a very specific question. Absolutely love that question. Blackmagic pocket 4k, the camera, you can pick it up on eBay, Facebook market, any of those places for less than a thousand dollars. And if you're lucky, a lot of the a lot of the times it will come with um, a resolve dongle or resolve like activation code, which means you actually paid 700 600 for the camera and then $300 is for the software. So you got that for free with the camera. So black magic pocket 4k is legit gh5 somebody says is great a7s3 is amazing like yes yes so as c500 mark 2 and so as red and so as alexa we're not talking about that we're talking about entry level camera for someone who wants to grade under thousand dollars with the software davinci resolve pocket 4k is the best choice it will give you 
it will give you the experience you need to know how to work with raw footage, okay? And that's huge. Uh, the difference between Pocket 4K RAW to Alexa or RE RAW is massive, but RAW is RAW. So for you to understand what are some of the parameters uh, that you're gonna be looking out for, what kind of difference you know, do they make uh, on individual level, all these things are invaluable and you get to experience so much of that with a nominal cost. I mean, under $1,000, are you freaking kidding me? So that is the entry-level camera. There is absolutely no competition. There is no other player in that price range that I can tell you because the question was entry-level camera for you know, practicing grading. So that was the question. It wasn't like shooting weddings or anything. It was just pertaining to grading. So then you got to go with that. Somebody says 12 stops of dynamic range. That sounds about right. It's 11 to 12. Yeah, somewhere around here, maybe a little less, uh, maybe a little less than 12. I'm talking about usable stops of dynamic range because every camera under the sun nowadays is giving you 250 stops of dynamic range. But when it really comes down to it, when you deep dive, it's not that much. Like, I mean, it's a lot less than that. So Let's keep going, guys. Cosman, what's the difference between Premiere Pro versus DaVinci Resolve color grading? So again, an amazing question. Um, you guys, so many of you are already on Premiere and just because the ecosystem is really beautiful, right? I mean, you got Photoshop, you got Lightroom, you got After Effects, you got Illustrator. I mean, you got that whole suite in one and uh, you got Audition. So it is really amazing, it is really beautiful. It was tough to move from Premiere Pro to Resolve. I had spent so much money on templates and transitions and this and that and the other thing, just like you guys, it wasn't easy, but I just can't look back. I don't go back, I love you know moving into Resolve and just you know using it for everything start to finish and it's unbelievable, it's great. The big difference when it comes to color grading be between Premiere Pro and DaVinci Resolve is that DaVinci Resolve, the foundation on which it's built on is finishing. So it is actually a finishing tool, like Base Light is a finishing tool, like Luster is a finishing tool. So those tools are meant for one thing, right? So the main reason was like color grading, finishing, getting it ready for broadcast, you know, for film projection, for all that good stuff. So it was meant for that, Premiere Pro uh, Premiere Pro's core reason is editing offline, you know, uh, tools. So this is basically like bring in proxies, feed it in here. Let's tell a story. Let's let's edit Gone Girl on it. Let's put it out in Resolve, hand it off to Company Three, let them color it, and then boom, ship it out. You know, so this is how the pipeline works. So. Premiere Pro, people mistake it for like, you know, because Premiere and Adobe wants everything, you know, like nobody wants you to leave, right? Like, no, like I don't want you to leave, like you're here right now, so I'm gonna throw some cliffhangers to like, you know, some hooks to keep you in because I don't want you to go see somebody else's live. I want you to watch my live. I want you guys here all to myself. Adobe wants the same thing. So of course they're gonna go, oh, you know, shit, like, Premiere or uh, Resolve is coming in hot with all these tools and now you can edit in Resolve and now you can do sound design in Resolve and graphics in Resolve and blah, 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 blah compositing in Resolve. Like, let's try to, you know, control that. Hold on, we got Lumetri, like, it's better than Resolve. It's easier than Resolve. It's just like Lightroom and you do this and that and the magic happens and Joker look, you can create it just by wishing it, blah, blah, blah. It's not the same. <laughs> it's not the same. Lumetri is a plug-in inside DaVinci Resolve, just like DaVinci Resolve has hundreds of plugins that you can buy and put in, you know, uh, DaVinci Resolve. So the different, it's, it's apples to oranges, right? There is no comparison. So I 
highly recommend everybody. Uh, DaVinci Resolve pays me zero cents, okay? Black Magic and I have zero so association. I'm gonna go on record and say, I even reached out to them, try to make something happen, and they just don't care. Nothing happens, okay? They, they're just, they're doing their own thing. They're, they're like sort of like old school in a sense that they're not into like the influencer marketing and knowing their people like, you know, who's hip and hot where and how, it, you know, that person can help push their product. So anytime I talk about DaVinci Resolve, it's not because I'm getting a little nice check coming in. It would be really nice. And if they start doing that, I'll be talking more about it. But Resolve for color grading, Premiere Pro for editing if you want to, but you can actually do it all in DaVinci Resolve. So that's the answer to that question. Best advice for beginner beginner in editing and grading. So best advice for beginners um, for, let's just keep it about grading. So best advice for beginners is that learn to love the process of color correction. Okay, that is very important. Like I know you want to create the next Tenet look. I know you want to create the perfect like Fight Club teal and orange. I know you want to do all that but just trust me what I'm saying, learn to love color correction. Like when you start, because the most frustrating part of color, uh, color grading is uh, matching. So you can make one shot look amazing, right? It looks beautiful, it looks great. You go to the next shot and it doesn't match. And if the two shots don't match, it doesn't matter how good the first shot looked, people are gonna focus on the one that doesn't look as good as the first one and they're gonna go, what is going on? Let's just give this to a professional that knows what they're doing. So shot matching is the hardest thing and shot matching requires mastery of color correction. So you actually have to get really good at that. That's why I say fall in love with color correction, lift gamma gain, are your best friends. Don't think of lift gamma gain as that, oh, back in 2009 when I used Colorista, that had you know lift gamma gain, so how good can it be? Like I wanna use something hotter, something sexier, like hue versus options or qualifiers or blah, 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 like all these compli complicated things. The beauty is always in simplicity. So keep it simple, uh, keep it tight, keep it lean. Um, efficiency, efficiency is gonna come from you know your command over how good you are, how fast you can go through the color cor color correction process, and then the next is going to be shot matching, and then the next is going to be grading. And like I always say, color grading is all about stacking. You got to build one on top of the next one, and like you know, you just got to keep going. How do you set your price? So your price is going to be all over the place in 2020. Having a decade worth of experience having you know the exposure that i have um there is there's still to this day no set price even running my own company there is no set price every client is going to come up with some their own arbitrary budget you're going to have to work with it so unless you're like a really like crazy house like that house that is just known for your thing like company 3 e film like you know, the usual suspects, like they can really set their rates, but I bet you even they work around people's budgets, okay? Uh, I'm not gonna disclose any rates, but I've heard, you know, certain music videos that even Company 3 did for price that like made me go, what is going on? Are you kidding me? Uh, that's insane. They're like, why would they do that? It's Company 3, but they did it because, you know, you just gotta be moldable. You gotta run with it. You gotta roll with it. So the rates are all over the place, okay? Like, I mean, it, it just depends. I mean, I got people that I try to hire for my company and they're like, oh, my dear rate is uh, $5,000. And I'm like, dude, what the hell are you talking about? Like, speak English to me. Like, no, that's not gonna happen. What am I gonna make if I pay you $5,000? And you also have not, you know, graded 
freaking tenet. So like, let's just talk, let's be real, you know? And then there's other people that are just like super lost and they don't know what it is. So one thing that I would recommend that you guys can do is, uh, you know, be very upfront, like talk to your client and just uh, reverse the question. And that works, that works like magic, okay? Flip it, flip the question. So, you know, somebody goes, hey, how much is it going to be? Like, you know, what's your day rate? You just flip it around and you go, what's your budget for color on this? Um, just say that, hey, I'm, I'm booked on a few gigs. I'm gonna have to find a spot to plug you in. What's your budget? Just just give it to me straight. Just ask them like that. And sometimes they'll be hesitant. Sometimes they're gonna be like, oh, it's this much, it's 1,250, you know, or it's uh, 2,500. That will help you then, you know, because there's always room for negotiation, right? Nobody's gonna give, the, give you their max. They're always gonna give you less. And then you're gonna have to negotiate and push them and like, you know, find the middle ground and all that good stuff, okay? What to look for when color correcting footage. So, I mean, a couple of things that you're gonna look for for color, let's take that question. So, I mean, it's a pretty general question, but you know, when you're grading something, you're gonna look at a shot and the first thing, first couple of things that you're gonna do, the first thing is going to be exposure. What's up, Emmanuel from Filmmaker's World? Respect, man. Thank you so much for dropping in. Guys, Filmmaker's World is an excellent community because look at how huge they are. Uh, one of the fastest growing, you know, film account on Instagram and their engagement is like second to none. And he just took the time to show up here to show his respect. So this is the kind of stuff uh, that makes their platform what it is. And you have to put in the time. There will never be in life anything that's called passive. There is no passive income. There is no passive success. There is no passive skill set. Like you have to work at it day in and day out. And uh, that's a true example of that right there with Filmmakers World. So mad respect, brother. Just had to give them a shout out because that's, you know, it, it's important. This is the kind of stuff that we need to talk about today because everybody's doing everything. Nobody's taking the time to slow down and just look at the players and like call out the players, you know, when, when they're playing the game the right way. So uh, yeah, brother, much respect. So, okay, let's get into it again. I was talking about um, what to look for color correcting footage. I mean, first thing is going to be exposure. Just take your footage, set up the exposure. I usually do contrast and pivot, and then I'll do lift gamma gain to just kind of like, you know, lift the gamma up a little bit to like let the image breathe, create that Roger Deakins, like, you know, natural feel yet very cinematic, you know, sort of thing. So that's my first. Then the second thing is going to be saturation. Let's pop some color in and start creating some separation. And then the third note could be, you know, uh, would be balancing. Let's balance out the image. So whether I'm gonna start off really fast with temp and tint, do a little temperature, let's take out the warmth a little bit, let's add a little magenta tint, because if you're working with Alexa or Sony or something like that, they tend to, you know, be a little green bias. So you gotta cancel that out, and then you're gonna be in a very neutral world, and then you start building your image from there. So that would be like, you know, boom, like just a quick little, uh, you know, insight to the Cosman's brain, you know, like how I attack it when I'm like working on a, uh, Tom Poole just showed up. What's going on, brother? Um, what's happening? So, I mean, I mean, come on. So, so to talk about, you know, the stuff that Tom Poole has done and the movies that he's worked on and the, you know, stuff that he's creating. I mean, that's, that's something that will come after years and years of just like hitting home runs, working on stuff that, you know, you just put your head down and you just go. You just put your head down, you go practice, 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 and then you eventually get to a point where you're putting out stuff 
dealing commitments to let curve they use printer points. There you go. He just gave you everything. He just literally gave you every single thing that you need to know about grading. So it's all about, see, that's it. All right, guys, so I'm gonna jump into a few more questions here. So let's talk about uh, difference between commercial and film look. That is also a good one to attack because I think that gap is closing. Uh, the difference between commercial or film look, I mean, the major difference is that film is watched and looked at in its entirety. Like you put on a film and you watch the film, okay? So whatever palette they create, whatever look they create, uh, that DNA is there, you know, through and through for like hour and a half, two hours, whatever have you. When you are watching a commercial, it is competing with the adjacent commercials. It's competing with like, you know, whatever show that was on, then it leads into the commercial, then it goes into another commercial, and then it comes back out of that commercial into that show. So there is like, they have to keep that in mind. So most of the time, you know, you're gonna go down the Rec 709 path, you know, for commercials, and you're gonna make sure that you're kind of keeping your white and black points close to where they're supposed to be and like really stretch your image in that, you know, world. So when you're going from a previous commercial that you don't know whose commercial that is to your commercial, it's not too jarring, it's not too crazy. But that said, that gap is closing now because again, let's just bring up like since Tom Poole was here, let's bring up Company 3's example. The kind of commercials that they're putting out is absolutely insane. Or Parker Jarvie is like one of my favorite colors from Company 3. And the kind of stuff that he's putting out and, and just the whole team is doing, they're closing that gap. So now you watch these commercials and they have crazy cinematic look and you just go, oh my God, it just, it looks like I'm watching a movie. It's just full on a freaking movie. It's not a commercial anymore. So I think the lines are being blurred right now, but still like, I just wanted to give you a difference, like, you know, the, the distinction between the two. Uh, commercials need to fit in what's before and after them, whereas movies can just be its own thing, and that's why films always have, like, such a unique and fun look. Okay, how to get practice footage? This is something that a lot of people are struggling with. So you can get the footage from any camera manufacturer's website. So I will highly recommend starting right there. Just go on Google and type in Ari Alexa mini footage sample footage, just the keyword is sample. So when you type in Sony A7S III sample footage, you go Canon C500 Mark II sample footage. When you type that in, uh, there's gonna be some links that you can download the footage and start playing with it. Please do not use that footage for your portfolio. Please do not use that footage for any of your personal work. I mean, that footage is just for you to practice with and just honor that you know, and it will be in like the little PDF that you're gonna get when you download the footage, but go ham. Practice, learn from that footage. Uh, it's gonna help out so much because if you're getting a project that's shot on Red Gemini, it's really good to get your hands on Red Gemini footage to start messing with it and apply all the techniques that you've learned, whether it's from, you know, YouTube or actual course you've taken, whatever it is, you put it all to practice. And then once you get the project, you know exactly what to do. Okay, so that's the way to get uh, footage. I mean, it's limiting. It's not going to be tons of footage, but it's going to be enough to kind of get your tongue, tongue wet and just give you a taste for uh, what to look for. Where do you get your color inspiration? So, I mean, my personal color inspirations, you know my process. I mean, I'm very loud and proud about like, 
you know, seeing the work that inspires me and then try to, you know, use that as the foundation and then build on top of it. So like when I'm working on my own stuff, uh, whether it's music videos, commercials, whatever it is that I'm working on, I will take inspirations like, you know, let's just use the example that I always use. Let's say Joker. I will take, you know, a few uh, shots or a few stills from Joker and then try to like get certain things, highlights, whatever have you in that zone and then kind of just, you know, go off from there and, you know, throw my own flair on it, build my own sauce and then that's my grade for that project. And then, you know, that kind of thing. Sometimes it's paintings. Sometimes it's a freaking, like right now the sky is red. Like the camera is, the, the phone camera is doing a white balance, but like if you guys can see the sky right now, it's Blade Runner out there in Southern California. It is actually really freaky. It, it, the, the sky is red right now. It's crazy. Somebody asks, uh, the, uh, which camera do you choose between C500 Mark II or FX9, Sony FX9? So I'm sure you guys are familiar with it. Uh, what I'm going to say is that C500 Mark II sitting right there, C5, C500 Mark II all the way. I mean, to, to get a camera that is a gives you the dynamic range of an Alexa close to it with autofocus. So if you're a one man band and you want to set it and forget it and just kind of do your thing and not worry about like pixel peeping or have your wife come in and just make sure that, you know, everything is right on the nose and everything is perfect to go. If you want something that can hold your hand and do all that, I mean, C500, you cannot beat it. Okay. And somebody just said like sweet sauce just said that their S log sucks. Now, let me just tell you in full disclosure, at least that's what I've heard. I haven't experienced it firsthand, but I've heard that with their FX9 line, uh, their S-Log is very good. It's almost the same as uh, Sony Venice, which I have experienced grading Sony Venice footage uh, for the uh, Vizio commercials that I worked on. And I can tell you right now, Venice is amazing. Venice is great. So if FX9 is bred from that DNA, then it makes it a pretty good camera and a pretty good option. Um, but yes, it's still what I've seen online, uh, I'm not impressed by FX9. It still has a hint of digital. So I don't care about 15, 16 stops of dynamic range if on the shoulder and the knee, if we don't have the roll off that we want. If the roll offs are not Alexa roll offs, if the roll offs are not even like what I'm getting from C500 Mark II, I'm kind of blown away by what's happening here. Like I just do a little bit of correction and my images are just out of control. So it's blowing my mind. Best camera I personally have ever owned. And uh, the, the post process is just a breeze. I'm shooting everything in 10 bit. I don't even shoot, I don't even bother to shoot with uh, raw or 12 bit. I don't think I've ever shot uh, in raw with that camera. I'm just shooting in 10 bit because it's giving me everything, pulling keys, everything is a breeze. So excellent choice. I'll go with C500 over FX9 any day. Uh, how to fix flicker in Resolve? That is an important one. In Resolve uh, Studio version, there's an OFX called uh, D-Flicker. So as obvious as that sounds. So just type in D-Flicker, drop in that effect, and 90% of the times uh, it will work right off the bat. Sometimes you're gonna have to make some you know, uh, adjustments to the parameters to just get it to like where it fits with whatever footage it is that you're working with. But uh, D-Flicker plugin right there, built into Resolve Studio, one of their OFXs, drop it in and you're ready to go. Have you graded Red Komodo footage yet? No, brother, I haven't personally graded Red Komodo yet, um, but um, 
I'm very, very impressed. I've seen some videos. I think the kid's name is uh, Josh or something on YouTube. And I mean, he like his video has the most views for Komodo on YouTube. And I checked out that footage and he's he's done a lot of like B-roll stuff in Chicago, uh, which is my hometown. So it looks amazing. It looks phenomenal. Absolutely loved it. So I was like looking at it and I'm like, this is kind of crazy that Red is giving that away for that much money. And uh, I don't know what their game plan is in the future, but what I was looking at and the dynamic range and everything in natural lit uh, environment, I mean, he was getting some gold. So I was pretty impressed um, by the sensor. It's really, really good. Can anyone become a colorist? I mean, you guys know the answer to that and you know what I'm gonna say. Of course, anyone can become a colorist. I mean, uh, we have a couple of people in our FCM, Luke in particular, that is colorblind. And just because after the education and no learning how to understand uh, scopes with the assistance of scopes, he's like killing it. He's actually won a couple of our FCM challenges and it is crazy because the competition there is insane. And this dude won those challenges and he's colorblind. So even to that extent, like you actually can do it. But if you don't have that and you are just wondering if you can be a colorist, like anybody can be a colorist, you have to develop that eye and it takes time. Hunter just said Luke is a beast, exactly. So you just have to develop that eye. It takes time, practice, understanding things. Uh, that's like, you know, when somebody says, hey, quick tip for, you know, skin tones. I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at my skin tone right here uh, through this camera and it's looking pretty good. I mean, the camera is doing it. I mean, it's shooting in Rec 709. Uh, it's from iPhone. It's shooting in Rec 709. It's, you know, doing auto white balance and the skin is popping out. I mean, it's looking really good. So, I mean, that's a good skin tone to me. So, it's it, when you're grading, like, you're just a good skin tone is when you isolate the skin and separate it from the background and give it its own, like put it in its own world. That's when you're just like, that was a gorgeous skin tone. It's never like, let's just leave the skin where it is and manipulate everything else and then like worry about the skin later. It's like you build all your grades and everything around the skin and you like just sweeten it up a little bit. You take the edge off on the highlights and like bring it down, give it as much juice as possible without turning it into a freaking pumpkin. And if you can do that, that's really good. That's my advice. Professional advice as a colorist on skin tones. All right, so I'm gonna take Nick's question. Nick said, what is a reasonable amount of clips to get through in a day if they aren't challenging shots? Personally, my average or, or my uh, PR it has to be like 800 uh, clips in one day, like 780 to 800 clips. And uh, that was not done right. I mean, it was like a documentary style, you know, film run and gun, and I had to go through it. So I was like turning and burning, but still I was, you know, there were still qualifiers happening and like, you know, highlights, you know, uh, you know, I was using Luma qualifier, pulling down the highlights, things like that. I was still doing a ton. And, it, you know, that was my average on that project. Usually, most of the time when you're working on commercials or something like that, I mean, commercials would be like anywhere from 16 to 54, maybe 60 clips in a commercial. And then that you are working on a commercial for a day, you know? So, I mean, you're working on that commercial. Music videos can range from, again, somewhere from 50 to like 200 clips um, for a music video. And then that is like a day or two day job. You know, you're just working on that and then you're going through the feedback and, you know, stuff like that. So that it's, it's mostly something like this, right? But again, 
talked to some people like, you know, the, the colorist of Game of Thrones when you brought him on when we talked about it, talked to him and he said that they were turning in episodes. They were getting like two to three days to color an episode of Game of Thrones. And when you look at it, it's so gorgeous. It looks so great. And you just go, how the hell does one do that? So it's, it's you know, you got to get all the things right up to that point that you can just start hitting it out of the park and like keep going. Everything has to be done right. When you're working with amateur shooters, you cannot do that. You cannot get something looking like Game of Thrones in three days. It will take you three weeks. If you're working on Game of Thrones and they're giving you that sauce, that footage, and then you're that good to match their skills, then you can turn it in three days. That's not to take you know their talent, anything from their talent, um, but still, like when everything is done right, it's easier. Uh, somebody is saying that, hey, I get too much color shift from DaVinci to Premiere. How to re uh, how to resolve that? How to resolve that? Haha. -ha. Okay, so that color shift that you're talking about is, you know, a gamma shift that is happening. So for that, I mean, I'm just shamelessly going to plug my thing in and I'm going to say link in bio. Watch that one hour training that I have and it's going to take you through the gamma shift process because if I say some words here, they're not really going to make any sense. But once you watch me do it, everything is going to click and it's going to make sense. So you have to go through that proper process for that shift to not happen. And that shift is absolutely absurd, drives everybody crazy. And eventually, hopefully, you know, DaVinci Resolve will have an update where it's just taken care of. But up until now, there's a workaround. It's all in there. Check it out. How to stay motivated during a grading session. So that's also a good one. I mean, ultimately, I'm just going to say that it has to come with from within you, right? I mean, you have to be passionate about grading to stay motivated through grading, like through a grading session. So that has to be something that you want to do. I just remember anytime I worked on something that was just for paying the bills and not necessarily for, you know, oh, I'm so stoked and proud of working on this project because once I share it with people, like this is going to be so amazing and this is such a great project. Anytime I worked on something like that, that was just for paying the bills, I was yawning. I couldn't stay pumped. I couldn't stay motivated. I wanted to go to sleep. I was tired. I mean, dude, the reasons were endless. I would call my parents, haven't talked to them in years. Like, let me just have long conversations. I mean, the list goes on, dude. So it was hard. But when I'm working on something that I'm pumped about, it would literally be like, what's up, dad? Are you busy? Yup. Yeah, let me, can I call you in four hours? All right, love you. I'll call you in, in a couple of hours. Boom, done. I'm back on it. Like I'm freaking pumped. I'm going, man. I'm going. I'm I'm like firing, right? So that's that's what it is, man. That's just I'm just I'm telling you what works for me and that's how I approach it. How do you get a, get an eye to see colors well? And that is a that's a very valid question, okay? Because in the beginning, it would happen to me all the time. I'm grading something, I'm looking at it and I'm like, "This is perfect. It just can't be any better." I walk away, I come back and I look at it and I'm like, "What the f was that?" What was I thinking? And I'm like, hopefully somebody, like nobody saw it because this is flat out embarrassing. You're like, what is going on? So that took time. Um, you know, that's why these things help, right? Like proper environment, like having gray walls, having 18% gray on your walls. If you can, if you're that much of a psycho, get the bias lighting behind your monitor so the light is distributed evenly. And then it like releases some of the stress, you know, on your eyes by being in a dark room. So having that kind of setup, uh, so I have three screens, right? I keep these two screens pure dark, pure black. Right now the screen uh, or on the wallpapers on these screens are just black. 
So I keep these screens super dark. My main screen is my main screen that I'm focusing on. So I need all this assistance for my mind to not play tricks on me. So then with my intuition and with my experience, when I'm grading something, I'm going, this is looking white, this is looking proper, even with or without looking at the scopes, I can walk away and I can come back and majority of the time I'm right. So it's going to be something that you're just gonna keep doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, doing it, and then years later, like, you know, one day you're gonna look back and you're gonna be like, okay, I got it. Like, I, this looks, this feels right, this looks right, I'm running with this, boom, boom, boom. Like, you know, then that's that. So you're gonna develop it over time, but it doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't happen because you were missing that one bias lighting, or it doesn't happen because you were missing that one monitor or that one thing. It just, it's all like, you know, it takes time and then it happens with experience and practice. I'm gonna say one thing. I used to have an iMac Pro before I had my Mac Pro, and uh, I gotta be honest with you, there was something that just didn't sit right with me, okay? Like iMac Pro, Pro's screen was magenta bias, and so was my MacBook Pro. It was more on the magenta side, okay? And it was just, it wasn't sitting well with me. Even if I would calibrate it, the colors weren't where they were supposed to be. And um, I don't know, I'm not a huge fan of it. And even over that screen, like that screen is amazing to look at, right? Like, I mean, eye strain is zero. It's insane. Like you can use it for everything else. When it comes to actual grading, I just never really trusted it. I never really used it um, for actual grading purposes. But now if that's all you got, it's the best screen you have. Absolutely use it. All right, guys, we have two minutes. We're gonna wrap it up. Thank you so much for all your questions. This was so much fun. And let me know if this is something that you guys wanna see more of. And I'm thinking about doing it like once a week or something like that because there's all these different questions, right? Plus I can keep it restricted too. So like we can make one only about the monitors. We can make one only about like the color grading lingo. We can make one only about like you know, color grading future. We can make only one about like, you know, DaVinci Resolve, those kind of things. So if you guys are pumped about it, if this is something you guys wanna see more, yep. So Maddie is saying yes, yes, yes. So I mean, it's going to happen. This was fun. It was amazing. Thank you so much for your guys' time and sticking around with me. Until next time. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with friends, subscribe to this channel, and I will see you in the next episode.